Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. This is the Cannamom Show with Joyce and Amy. Are you interested in hearing inspiring stories told by the real women in the emerging cannabis industry? Well, sit back and enjoy because this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. I'm a former family law attorney and mother of two, and I've been speaking with women from coast to coast who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving. And along with my Kenna sister, realtor, cancer survivor, and mom, Amy Searles. Hey there. Hey, Aim. <laughs> We're on a mission to empower women-centric cannabis businesses by sharing their stories with you. Today, we have a cannabis CPA. Yay. Yay. My guest, <laughs> my guest found her place in the cannabis industry after serving as a select woman in the small Massachusetts town and realizing how little elected policymakers know about cannabis, something I talk about a lot. She is uniquely positioned in the emerging cannabis world having both practical experience in local government and solid connections to cannabis businesses. In 2017, she persuaded her firm, Citrin Cooperman, that she was the person to lead the charge to help develop good business practices in the emerging cannabis industry. Today's guest understands that those who understand the industry should be working to help others understand it too. So she travels around the country, sharing her knowledge and works every day to educate those around her about cannabis and business. Today, we'll be talking about local politics, Massachusetts municipal law, cannabis accounting, and of course, how a woman and a mom, she incorporates cannabis into her own life. And if we have time, with our political hat on, I want to talk about cannabis policy visions. So welcome to the Cannamom Show, Mitzi Hollenbeck. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here, guys. I really appreciate it. And typically, as a CPA, nobody ever cheers for you. So that was kind of <laughs> nice that we had the, the cheering going on at the same time. Oh, we, great. We appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> One more time. 
Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so, fantastic, fantastic. So I know you've been very busy, Mitzi. I've seen you on all sorts of uh, conferences and events, and you're all over the country. So I think, you know, let's talk about a little bit about, you know, you have a little bit of a different cannabis story than my, a lot of my guests. A lot of my guests have illness, and they don't come from it specifically from a business and politics issue. And, you know, you've come into this for policy, you have kids, so... Let's just talk about how did you get into the cannabis industry from your local government perspective? Maybe that's a good way to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so of course, in, I live in Massachusetts, although my office is actually in Rhode Island, um, although we have a Massachusetts office. So I became an elected official, a selectman in the town of Lakeville back in 2014. And Lakeville's a and pretty course, small town, right, Mitzi? It's a little yeah, small. Yeah, it's about 11,000 yeah, 11, people okay. in total. Okay. And so we have a, a three-member board of selectmen. And so the selectmen, for those who are not familiar with local government, are really kind of the uh, policy-making decision leaders of the town that really bring forth policy to town meeting. And in Massachusetts local government, town meeting is typically the form of government that really they approve the budget, they approve policies, zoning laws, things like that, that impact the cannabis industry uh, within that local jurisdiction. But really the selectmen kind of set the stage for creating the warrant for town meeting and really making the day-to-day um, administrative policy decisions. Right. It's like, so, and I do say this a lot, that's like, you know, these local politics, you know, it tends to be older men and who may have grown up in a different era and this is really new to them. Yeah. I mean, I was only the second female um, elected selectman in the whole town's history. Um, the town's been around, although it was part of Middleborough yeah, of prior to, uh, <laughs> you know, a certain time, but it was founded in the 1850s as its own town. And so during that entire time, there was only one other woman selectman who she was elected maybe six or eight years prior to when I was elected. So it's, it's a fairly new phenomenon. And, um, you know, certainly I was one of the youngest selectmen, uh, select persons, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, within the town as well. Um, I was elected when I was 32 years old. Okay. And then, and how did, so you are working government, local government and you're a CPA. How did this transition into a cannabis CPA? <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've been a CPA for a number of years, um, you know, within the industry. I have about 20 years of experience um, being a CPA and I'm a partner at Citroen Cooperman. We're the 22nd largest CPA firm in the United States. So by kind of how they come together was really related to the marijuana businesses from the medical perspective. When Massachusetts legalized medical marijuana in 2012, starting around 2014, 2015, some of the applicants started coming to the Board of Selectmen in Lakeville and saying, we'd like to cite our medical marijuana business in the town of Lakeville. And Lakeville's really kind of at the crux of a number of different roads and highways. So it really, you know, is, is accessible uh, via transportation purposes. So these people started coming in front of us and, you know, we certainly wanted to ask a lot of questions about how the business operates, how they're going to fund the business, cash flow, and really started understanding that there's a lot to the business behind cannabis. Right. The and business, the business part of cannabis is huge. And we talk about right. this risk management, you know, proper business and, and who's coming into it and what caliber are they at? And you, you know, your firm is quite high in that realm that like you guys are very respected. So you're coming into this, right? Yeah, and yeah. absolutely. And and I think, you know, what, what it looked like really in a lot of cases is almost a, a cry for help because the, the CPA profession has really kind of rejected, I don't want to say rejected, but they haven't embraced the cannabis industry. And CPAs typically are very conservative by nature, mm -hmm. despite the fact that every single major conference seems to take place in Las Vegas. Um, why? <laughs> they get everything no there idea. in Las Vegas. So oh, yeah. just there. Yeah. There's something for everyone. <laughs> everyone, there's something for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> very, very true, very true. Um, 
Yeah. So, you know, the, the CPA profession really has not embraced the industry. And it wasn't until 2017, uh, really the beginning of 2018, when the Massachusetts Board of Public Accountancy said that we won't take your license away or prosecute your license as what's considered an act discreditable. It's essentially an ethical violation within the industry by servicing clients in the legal cannabis business. That's so, a, but, you, but you were in 2017, didn't, when, when did you approach your firm about um, taking this on? It was really, you know, 17 to 18. We so had been working coming, with yeah. those clients. Yeah, so we had been working with those clients and have been working as a firm with those clients for, you know, probably about seven or eight years. Um, you know, but at the same time, there really weren't any known protections. Nobody wanted to talk about cannabis as a business. The West Coast, very different, of course, right? right. Um, but when you get to the East Coast, no one really wanted to talk about the business of cannabis. Well, we come and from so a different, like, you know, we're, we're, especially Pur- we're Puritans, you know, and we come from this <laughs> a very different angle. And, um, yes. And, 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 and especially municipal law. I mean, this, we talked about this quite a bit, like just the, oh, the transition yeah. from what people believe to what this is. And then when the money starts coming in, the shift in the municipal leadership, you know, but if you don't have good risk management, people are losing money. It's so important to have good business in this. And you know that. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's really, when you look at the bigger picture of cannabis and the business of cannabis, and you start to see and hear what's happening in the markets and the public markets and on the news and, you know, this company went bankrupt and that one went bankrupt and this one has fraud here, there and the other place. Right. You know, those are the bigger stories in cannabis, but a lot of the issues, also are that typically CPAs are the gatekeepers on mm-hmm. a lot of these companies and really help people explain the business of their business. It's the, the language of business and, and how does it work. And there's definitely complicated nuances in the cannabis industry that are very unique. Mitzi, do you want to kind of go through some of the, the basic I mean, yeah. some of the business things people don't understand, like what you can't, uh, t- business deductions, normal things that normal yeah. business is set up, how hard it is to get a... A bank account, you know, a risk management issues must be a huge, I mean, that's probably a lot of what you're dealing with, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the, the biggest issue that the cannabis businesses face, I mean, there's a million different issues, but the biggest one that, you know, we assist with or, or kind of work through and help our clients really understand it is it's a code section 280E, which is the tax code that really says that if you're trafficking in a controlled substance, even though it's state legal, it's still federally illegal under the Controlled Substances Act. So you're trafficking in a controlled substance. Therefore, you get no ordinary and necessary business deductions or credits. So what does that mean? If you're a cannabis dispensary, for example, you can only deduct the cost of goods sold, which is what you're purchasing the product for, because it's considered to be an adjustment to income, not a deduction. But the person who's ringing your register, the rent you're paying, the utilities, all of those other expenses are not tax deductible. So at the end of the day, you actually end up paying an effective tax rate of somewhere between 70, 80%. So if you're bringing in, say, for example, as a simple example, a million dollars in revenue and your cost of goods sold, typically the margins are about 50%. So your cost of goods sold, what you bought the product for is about $500,000. So you're working off a gross margin of $500,000. But if it costs you, you know, $400,000 to pay your payroll, your utilities, your rent, so you end up with a normal business, you'd have profit of $100,000 and you'd pay tax on your profit of $100,000. But in the cannabis industry, you're paying tax on the gross margin. So you're paying tax at $500,000, even though you only made $100,000. And what, and so I know you're, you're deep in this. I know you're going to a lot of conferences. Uh, So how did, like, how did you approach your people in your firm to say, I want to go into this, you know, controlled substance 
uh, market. Uh, the margins are really terrible. People are losing money, but we want. I think we should like help them. What, is, it sounds what, like a, what did you say like to a them? Great business plan, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'm the one to do it. Yeah. So what did you say to them? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I've had support from the beginning. Um, certainly, you know, what's funny about our firm, Citrin Cooperman, is actually, and, and it's not just a catchphrase, but we really are the firm that was founded on rock and roll. So, oh, nice. Um, we like that. Our, I like that. First, and really, the first seed money to start the firm came from the Who. Ooh, so they were the that. first. Yeah. Yeah. So they're they're yeah. actually the first first client of the firm. Um, you know, the that's second cool. client of the firm was Yes, and and that's all kind of ingrained into our history. And that was really with the two founding partners, uh, Joel Cooperman and Niall Citrin. So Citrin Cooperman. So I went to Joel Cooperman, you know, and explained to him that you know I want to. I, you know, there's a great opportunity here, business opportunity. I really want to start a cannabis advisory services practice. What would it take for me to get approval? And he just looked at me and said, I don't know why you haven't done it already. So <laughs> you got a lot of those rock and roll people, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was really kind of the impetus for it. And, you know, we've really been, as you mentioned too, we, we just acquired a, a, another firm out in California. So we have about 140 people or so in our California office. And we have offices all up and down the East Coast. And in California, of course, it's a different cannabis market, but we certainly have a cannabis practice out um, with our West Coast friends, too. So we're all across the country and really out there speaking and trying to educate people on the importance of, you know, accounting and, and taxation because it really the businesses can only thrive if people really understand what the margins are and how to cost their inventory and how to make good business decisions. And a lot of people are very passionate about the products, but they might not be good business people or they've never run a business before. No, and we right. find this, we find this all the time. I mean, we find totally. like the, the people who are willing to sort of stick it out, especially, you know, we're, we're, we're focused on women-centric businesses. So the mm-hmm. majority of women who get into this, they were sick or their child was sick or their loved one was sick and they figured out cannabis on their own and they understand what it is and they know there's a stigma and they are just out there like passionately trying to get the message out. But the business part, it's confusing to everybody and it's sort of troubling because we know that I always say this, we're America, we make money, <laughs> this is what we do well. Yeah. <laughs> right. And there is a potential in this industry, and even in terms of like hemp production. So we know that we can produce hemp now, but we don't have the structures below to create the products. This is an, this could be an American product, but we need to be able to set up those businesses, right? Yeah, and I think that, you know, every opportunity we have to really educate people on how to really make cannabis into a business and how to really help people um, from that perspective is, you know, I feel like it's, it's almost my duty to give back. And, you know, it's really, I think it's important for people to understand that there are qualified professionals that, you know, there are a lot of nuances and tax nuances and how these companies are structured and how the M&A transactions happen and things like that, that people just kind of get off to the wrong foot and they might, yeah. yeah, maybe they go on legal zoom and they, they create yeah. an entity, right? <laughs> exactly. But they have no idea oh, yeah. um, you know, what the what that means down the road. And it's so, like it's again it's a you know, I guess it's like an equity issue because everyone's sort of cutting corners or trying to do it as you know, that you need so much money to get into this and then just kinda of hang on until you can make money and that's something that I guess people think they can cut corners on, but Unfortunately, yeah. that's, that, you know, to dovetail back to local control, I mean, that is an issue, right? Yeah, because totally. the local control process and the regulatory process does take so long. So you really need a lot of access to capital to be able to secure a specific location that you may have to pay rent on for 18 months before you even start to renovate the property. Yeah, so, and, you yeah. know, that's 
a lot of the considerations and and it's tough for small business owners um, in that regard. And we hear this over and over again, you know, and uh, so so I'm just like, talk, let's talk about like, so in 2018, I know you said some, um, there's some acts to help um, protect you as uh, a CPA, but what do you see coming? What's happening now to protect um, people who want to invest in these businesses? Are things that you are watching carefully that are going on? Because I know there's so much legislation and this is state specific in many ways, but what do you see coming down the road to help businesses, really? Um, not much. Nothing, honestly. really? Get out! Uh, oh, well, well, that was I think, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, presidential election years are either make or break years, right? So, we have no idea what's going to happen from the federal side. And the biggest issue that these companies are facing from at least a cash flow perspective is this onerous taxation structure of 280E. Right. Because, you know, you have to think that if you're paying um, even 30% tax on $500,000 in that example before, you're paying $150,000 in tax when you only made $100,000. I mean, the math doesn't make sense, right? Why would you operate that business? And can you see the differences across the different states? Because I know that we talked to a lot of people in California. We talked to people in Colorado. We actually are talking to people in, you know, like South Carolina that are prohibition states. But can you see any differences in states in terms of how they're handling these businesses? Yeah, I mean, the different states have different taxation structures. Sometimes what they'll do is something called decouple from 280E, like California has done, like Maine okay. has done, like okay. Colorado has done. That's kind Massachusetts of Massachusetts has a... Yeah, mm-hmm. Massachusetts has a bill, yeah. um, you know, that's in the House that hasn't really gone anywhere mm-hmm. that would decouple from 280E, so that hasn't happened yet. Um, but it's only the state portion, right? So right. the state portion is the smallest portion. I mean, California can be up to 12%, so it's a pretty significant taxation structure in California. And they just recently changed their rules to allow for kind of that pass-through 280E relief for partnerships and, and sole proprietorships where previously you had to be a corporate entity to get that relief from a tax perspective at the state level. Um, and I, I know I'm kind of the, the, going the on way, here. Right, right. I, I'm going to shift from tax to math municipal soon, but keep going with the tax. Ooh, all right, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People, are you sitting in your seat? I, I want to talk about mass municipal law soon. I, okay. I, I have to say, I, I'm much more exciting at a party, really. You know? um, we'll all have to go out. <laughs> 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 yeah. Although when when you think of the grand scheme of uh, of CPAs, you know, a CPA that does cannabis is way cooler than any other CPA. Oh, totally. Um, you you have total you know. cred. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <And> that, <laughs> with, with the people. Um, yeah. So I know. But, that, so we talk, wait, So the municipal stuff does that come into the tax stuff? Are they? Um, are there any other issues in terms of the municipal law? I mean, I know that I know that I want to talk about host agreements at some point, but yep. there are so many taxing issues at the local level too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's definitely the taxation issues at the local level, but the local level taxes, the excise taxes, the 3% local option tax, all of those things are taxes on the consumer, not on the cannabis companies. So that's a different element, right? That impacts more the consumer's decision to purchase cannabis as opposed to the business owner's decision to True. offer to sell cannabis. Um, because those are kind of passed through costs that the consumer is paying. However, you know, contrast that to the host community agreement payments, right, which are municipal payments that the the cannabis company is taking and and paying off to the local municipality. So there's certainly that element um, within the contract itself, too. Um, But from a federal tax perspective, I don't see anything changing anytime soon. There's a lot of conversation about it, but I don't think we're going anywhere, um, you know, at the, the present moment. Right, so well, that we'll, relief is not in sight. That's a bummer, but it is a bummer. All right, well, we'll oh, move well. on. So, yep, I, we're <laughs> Massachusetts. We'll just focus here. Okay, yep. let's talk about <laughs> the Mass Municipal Association. So, um, 
we had talked a little bit about this, about, you know, the town's uh, leaders may not really understand what this is. And you had talked about how a lot of the towns are being represented by the same um, law firm, right? There's a lot. Of, yep. And how, yeah, so how did that impact sort of like the perspective of these um, municipalities towards this industry? Yeah, so I think, you know, it, what a lot of people, um, and I have to say I, I take a lot of, not offense because I'm not involved in it anymore, but I, I wish that uh, the news outlets would really, again, like I wish everybody would, would actually understand the concept of local government, where in most municipalities across Massachusetts, the, the, they're local volunteers. They're being paid next to nothing, if anything at all, mm -hmm. a small stipend, and people are volunteering their time and expertise to really try to help shape the policy and uh, laws of that particular community. But the you know, all of a sudden you have a voter-led initiative through question four mm -hmm. to legalize adult use marijuana. And then when the legislature put together the law, the law included provisions for municipal local control. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, a brand new industry that's never been seen before is now sitting on the desks of volunteers who sometimes occasionally have full-time jobs like myself while I was doing it. Um, but, you know, other volunteers or maybe retired individuals or those who aren't working, you know, outside of the community. And, you know, all of a sudden what's on their plate to try to digest and understand a brand new industry that nobody really understands Correct. is kind of yep. sitting in front of them. Mm -hmm. So I think there's, there's, you know, a lot to be said. Of course, you can talk about the, the mayor fall river, right? And the, the corruption extreme. and yeah. all that uh, stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. but I think that, that that has unfortunately been the blanket or the lens that most people now are looking at through, you know, these host community agreements. Right, and that they're people, all crooks looking it, for a exactly. buck. Yeah. Although I did say, I saw, I saw <laughs> that Walter Sullivan is, was posted, he asked you to be on his panel. About the, the uh, host oh, agreement, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Un unfortunately, I, I can't make it that day. But, um, you know, and, and the, the real question is, you know, when you look at this and you say, okay, if we stop and step back and say, look, if you were an ordinary person that wasn't involved in this industry, right, and all of a sudden you get thrown into these rules and regulations, it is going to take a long time to get up to speed Absolutely. on the marijuana industry. And it's not easy at all. Right. And so what do you do? You typically rely on counsel. Right. So you look to advice from counsel. And, you know, there's only a few municipal firms that really represent a lot of different communities around town That's correct. or around the state. So if some community has been the first to jump into the cannabis industry, and typically, I mean, it, it, there's no such thing as municipal plagiarism, right? That's mm -hmm. just the way it is. So you just, you know, someone's got a rule, a bylaw, you right. like it, you just adopt it, right? right? And right, you, right. you go to town meeting with the same language, except for you change the name of the town. Exactly. So mm -hmm. that's very typical in municipal government. And so what do you do? The first thing you do is you say, okay, what? well, what other host community agreements have you actually entered into? Let's get samples of the host community agreement. So right. there were only probably a few samples of the ones going around from the first operators that pretty much every city in town adopted Correct. as their template. So no one thought anything of it because the law was not clear on a maximum on the payments. Because if you think of other development agreements with, say, contractors who are coming in to make you know, a large development, they oftentimes negotiate with the planning board certain right. provisions where we'll, we'll, we'll make a sidewalk on this road to you know, connect this and this as part of our development. We want to be friendly to the town. Right. So... I think so a that lot was, of that was the model. You think that was the model they were using? Just thinking of it that in those terms. I mean, because I heard Steve uh, Hoffman the other day on um, Boston Public Radio, which 
I try to get on like every time he's on there and I can never get through. But he was talking about, it's on speed dial now on my phone. But um, (laughs) it's true. But he was talking about, you know, he was talking about these host agreements. I know Dave Rogers is on the joint committee. You know, these host agreements have really, um, they've called a lot of angst for people. And I know that there's one town, was it Methuen, who actually got, before the host, the guy didn't have to hold off. He didn't have to rent the space before he got the host agreement. Uh, So that is a big shift. And there are no... And there, I think there are clarifications coming. So is that what Steve Hoffman has before uh, Congress, I mean, the Joint Committee, to talk about clarification of who has control of these? Yeah, so yeah. that's been a real issue, right? Because the legislature kind of put this in there, you know, and, and you've got some guidance that, you know, host community agreements and there's local control at the state level. Mm-hmm. But there's really been no ability for anyone to monitor what's in these host community agreements. Right. And that kind of flies in the face of local control in Massachusetts, which has a long history of local control. So right. I don't know where that's going to go. But I do think that, um, you know, the regulations could be a little bit more clear or the legislation, um, the legislature could make it a little bit more clear as far as, you know, what a maximum amount is. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they talk about the ho- the costs imposed upon the municipality and they talk about the municipality needing to make sure that they have records to document what the costs were from bringing this business to the municipality. So that's, the imp- oh, would that be the impact fee? Is that what you're talking that's about? That's the impact fee. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's kind of the big um, piece where everyone's saying, well, everyone's just charging 3%. And then on top of that, there's mandatory donations, there's upfront payments right. there, you know, could be, you know, I want a fire truck and yeah. all of that stuff. Sponsor the dog again, for the fire truck, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, they are asking, I, they're asking for silly things. I think they are going overboard. I mean, that's my personal opinion. Well, <laughs> so. but, but I think the thing is too, is you look at this and say, well, the community otherwise could opt out. Right. right. So they could have, and they still have the ability to, to vote zoning out um, of that community for marijuana establishments. So if they want to be located in that space, they're going to want to have tax revenue come in because every single city and town is hurting. And most of the times they're hurting mainly because of the educational burden on the tax rate in each city and town. And you know, that it's a huge, it's, it's common across the entire state that cities and towns with the two and a half percent limitation, prop two and a half, right. it's very difficult to be able to control your budget with only a two and a half percent increase on property taxes when you have, you know, salary increases that are greater than two and a half percent across the board or health insurance increases, because in a municipality, you've got to remember that, you know, about 85 percent of all of the costs are really personnel. Right. And so you've got, yeah. yeah, it's contractual obligations. The math doesn't work long term. So you need to find some sort of economic driver. And, you know, for a lot of cities and towns, cannabis was a great economic driver. Mm-hmm. You saw the first payment go out to Northampton for about $750,000. I mean, that's huge well, it, for it, a, a but, small town. But it seems, know, to be that, that, that seems to be the across the state. Like I've been to a couple of municipal, um, municipal leader meetings, you know, so you see the leader of Northampton who treats this like a, a shoe store. And it's the same. It's a business of the business, you know, and mm-hmm. you have sort of the smaller towns probably in the middle of the state who, you know, these are local people who want to start these businesses. Um, tomorrow we're having Ellen Rosenfeld from Comcan. So, you know, yep. she's a, you know, she's a strong, powerful woman in a part of the state um, who has a grow facility and a dispensary. And she's, you know, she's adding so many jobs out there in this business. Totally. I, I, and, yep. and, that, and that's the thing that that's the message we want to get across that this industry, it's transformative in a lot of ways. I mean, the Western part of the state, if we can actually get the growing and the manufacturing, can you imagine? 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for products, I mean, I'm talking about hemp, like talking hemp products, hemp right. manufacturing uh, structures. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that the, the some of the biggest concerns that that I have is, you know, we have a taxing structure, um, as we kind of talked about previously, the 20 percent, right? You've got 17 percent, which includes the state excise and the local um, sales tax. And then on top of it, the 3% option that pretty much every city and town that, you know, has retail exactly. has elected. So right. you're going to have a 20% excise tax paid by the consumer for this product. But, you know, only 3% goes back to the local municipality, which still is is great, right? right. Um, you know, in terms of sales. So, um, but I think that if people really believe they don't understand what the detriments are going to be. To the I, city or town. I think that's true. And, and, and there was a lot of fear mongering and, you know, fear. But, you know, the idea that, you know, these are, these facilities are secure. Right. I mean, they are cash for the most part, but they're hard to get into. There's security right there. Right. I don't think there's been, uh, have you heard anything about impacts, negative impacts in these communities? Uh, I mean, a lot of it's been, you know, what, traffic at first yeah. and, you know, sometimes the well, smell and, and yeah. things like that. People but, always talk about the um, smell. You know, <laughs> that is true. It is. Yeah. The people talk yeah. about the smell endlessly. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, those, those are things that, you know, can be mitigated and, you know, but you mm. want to have a good community partner to work with. I think sure. that if there was a clear guideline um, to the municipalities from the beginning that said you have to negotiate, but, but use the word negotiate is a problem, right? Mm. If it just was, if you want to locate here, you're paying a fee of X, you know, and, and that was it. Yeah. And that's, but instead they kind of left it up to this negotiation process and this, you know, because they want to leave it to local control, which I understand because that's the history of Massachusetts. But I really think that, you know, it, it's kind of a misnomer. Uh, again, when, when you see all these people talking about how everybody's corrupt, I mean, I think everybody yeah. was just looking for guidance. Oh, and yeah. so if there's a better solution out there in terms of, you know, maybe it's collected by the state and it's distributed back. Well, right? that's your, and now let's, let's go back to you. So that's Mitzi. So that's your better solution, right? Where are you talking? So we were talking <laughs> a little about what you would envision in terms of like an excise tax revenue that would go back to the municipalities. So yeah, I mean, what, I, what I'd like envision? to see, yeah. I mean, what I'd like to see, because I think that in a lot of cases, um, sometimes local control is a little bit better, um, you know, in terms of programming and things like that. And I'm not knocking the state. I certainly think the state does a good job, but um, you know, what happens is if you've got 17% that's going back to the state, um, and, and we know there's been some concern about whether or not that money is really being earmarked for programs and, um, you know, social equity and things like that, social equity uh, where, which is, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, which is not, um, you know, and it's subject, everything's subject to appropriation. So the state's looking for money too. But if there was a little bit of a split, um, you know, a little bit more of a split between the 17% um, between the city and the town and the state. I think that that might solve a lot of these problems as well. So have you presented um, this to the leaders of our state? <laughs> Are you leading this charge? Um, you know, we, we don't necessarily get involved in political uh, lobbying, right? <laughs> um, but that being said, I mean, I think that there's just, people need to just actually have a real conversation about it and stop finger pointing. Right. And that's the part that, and again, a lot of that is being done through media. Um, I I really like media, but I like media in the the form of a conversation and not as an accusation. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's my own uh, rant on what has happened in the age of social media um, in terms of people having opinions but not understanding the entirety of the situation and then really kind of ganging up against a group of people. And that's, you know, I just think social media in a lot of ways is a lot of bullying and it's not helpful. Right. And if people would just sit down and have that conversation 
I think we'd be in a much better place. I, agree. So I think and, we yep, can yep. get to that solution. Don't you think we're here? I mean, don't you think? I mean, I, so I say this about myself endlessly. Like, I wear pearls, I play tennis, I talk about municipal law. I like to talk about this in a very grown up way. And that's part of the conversation and introducing people to people like you who are just, you know, you're a professional woman in this industry, people who are building the businesses, and then to shift that perspective of who's actually working in this industry and how it impacts our world. And when, you know, people who don't really understand what's going on in this world ask me if there are enough shows, I just have to explain, this is everything. Like, everything that touches <laughs> yep. the normal business world right. is part of cannabis. Everything that touches the medical world is part of cannabis. It's so like, endless. It's endless. And it's almost yes. like it's like the upside-down world now because we are <laughs> treating it so, we you know, we're still treating it very differently, but... We need, like you said, we need um, quality professional people in this industry to make sure that it it, it, it rolls out the correct way. And it's the women, yes. obviously, obviously, <laughs> hello, who are doing the best job. It's true. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's still there's still a stigma out there, and and unfortunately, um, you know, this unfortunately, I mean, people are not necessarily embracing the fact they don't have to like the industry right but you have to acknowledge the fact that it's legal in the state of massachusetts still federally illegal and we all understand that and that is kind of an area that you know people um people are still leery of of course and and they well should be because to forget that is is really a not a a good course of action but that being said it's just making sure that everybody is at least treating it the way that it should be treated. And it really is a great business. It's an economic driver. It's bringing yep. in jobs. It's to, an economic driver. It, yeah. It's a no brainer. Exactly. That, I think that's the message that has to keep being honed over and over again. Again, so I read about like, you know, the hemp issue is a big one just because the farmers are just getting into it. And some of it isn't falling under the point three. There's a lot of issues of just growing it, but we know that yep. our farmers in our country want to grow it. We know that, right. but we just literally don't have this, to create the products that we know we can create, this could be an American industry. Like, you know, we don't want to keep Look, importing stuff from China. We need the industries here to build them, and we can rebuild these factories using this hemp clothing, everything. I, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, it was, I was just remarking um, the other day how the the paper straw movement has completely gone away. Right. So I don't know about you, but at least where I live, um, I think every restaurant has decided that paper straws were not a good thing. They suck. So now it's just, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, 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 hated, I, I actually used to keep, um, you know, plastic straws in my, in my car that Radical. I bring in with me, um, you know, just I bring them back they, and wash them. Right? I know they get soggy. And honestly, I don't like the silicone ones too. They feel weird. So yeah. I'm just <laughs> opting for no straw. And in New York, right. no one has straws in New York. I mean, yeah. They, Right, it's just like just have you no don't straw. see it anywhere in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. You can't find a straw. <laughs> but but I just saw I just read an article on motto. Yes, find a straw. Yeah, so I just I just read an article about a company that's making hemp straws. Oh, right, I, I love mean, it's, that. It's things like that. So yep. it's, it, there's a lot of opportunity there, and um, I think that you know, and and again, regulatory agencies have a, a tough time with this too because it's federally illegal and they're under certain mandates. Not hemp, right? So at least we've kind of crossed the hurdle with hemp, but hemp has its own federal illegality issues with the FDA and the FTC and, you know, everything and and whether you have real products, fraudulent products, things like that. There's certainly a lot of, um, you know, bad players out there. And then there's a lot of just problems with really having CBD absorb properly into liquids and stick to aluminum cans and things like that. So there's a lot of things to work out in the hemp industry. And I think Massachusetts, you know, they, they're following the FDA's rules right now. So you can grow and process, but you can't sell. So, <laughs> you know, which, it's, which in, a, in a capitalist society seems 
counterintuitive. Yes. <laughs> well, except for the fact that I always have to think that, you know, the Mass Department of Agricultural Resources, this got thrust upon them just like, you know, the creation of a brand new regulatory body of the Cannabis Control Commission. So, I mean, they're used to dealing with all the other crops and all the other farming in Massachusetts. And here comes this new crop that's, you know, again, emerged from the shadows yeah. that all of a sudden they have to regulate. And, you know, before they know it, it's out of the bag. I mean, it's, it's gone. It's gone viral. It's, That's true. You know, I, yeah. Well, I do I think, see yeah, so many, I've heard in the um, industry that, you know, cannabis years are like dog years. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. funny. That's I, totally that. yesterday. I love that. So, but, given that but, you've but, been in this, you know, maybe you've been in it like 50 years now at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's an yeah, old I mean, pro. It, it, the scary thing, though, too, is just, you know, when you look at it from the, um, the hemp side, is that, uh, that it, it's just, I mean, it existed. It's gone. It's back. Nobody knows. It's, <laughs> right. it's hemp is more confusing than than state legal cannabis. Oh yeah, even like yeah, that's a whole other discussion. All mm-hmm. right, so we got a couple more minutes, and I do like to talk about the mom issue, and I do like to talk about the things you've been going to. Like I think when we talked last, you were doing something at Gillette Stadium, but Ooh. I know you've been doing a lot of different events. What kind of things are coming up in your in your part of the cannabis world? Yeah, so um, in about a week and a half, um, I'm going down to Foxwoods, and I will be there for the CBD and Hemp Expo for um, the hospitality and spa industry. So for a lot of... That's very specific. Can you say that again? I love that. (laughs) Yeah, so it's it's an event going on for the hospitality and spa industry and really the use of CBD and hemp products. Genius. And what's legal, what's not legal. We have um, a great lineup... uh, You've got Stephen Dahmer, who's the medical director from Vireo Health, and he is, um, so in New York, one of the the medical cannabis companies, and he's just fantastic. He's still a practicing physician. He talks about the medical benefits of cannabis. He's really a great um, speaker addition. And uh, and Neil Wilner, who's an attorney, um, who's going to be joining me as well on that panel. And then uh, every time I turn around, I think uh, I've got another event I'm doing uh, I'm certainly speaking at the MJ Biz Investor okay. uh, Intelligence Forum in Ooh. April. I'll be back at MCLE, the Mass Continuing Legal Education. Yeah. I've got that at the end of April. Get CWCB in New York in May. We've got She's the everywhere. Association of Certified Fraud Examiners uh, Global Fraud Conference in June, along with the ASCPA's wow. uh, Cannabis Holy Conference cannoli. in June. And, yeah, I'm, I'm just busy. constantly all over the yeah. place. Um, you know, sometimes I get to bring my kids, which is nice. You oh, which is good. Like, and angle. I do want to talk about the kids. All right. So, you're, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I do have children. You do have children. <laughs> they're like 9 and 11. They're preteens. 9 and 11. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. I have a 12 yeah. year old, seventh grader. Uh, so, uh, fun. Yeah. So, again. The worst years. Oh, <laughs> don't say it. Don't no, say it. No, I mean, of school. Oh, I love them. Oh, that's it's true. School. No. Yeah, school sucks. Uh, middle school. He's <laughs> yeah. not, um, yeah, I don't think he's like, you know. Really but you don't psyched. want to peak in middle school. I keep saying this. Like, good lord, that is not. <laughs> no, no, no. It's my. I've got my oldest is my daughter, and she's in sixth grade. I'm like middle school. Oh my god, this is terrible. Terrible. <laughs> I know. I hated middle school. So. So when you. So okay. So we. This again. So this is literally how the show started. How you talk to your kids about this in this new era. My kids are older. They're 21 and 18. So what was it like when you started talking to your children about this product and what you're doing and the benefits and the concerns and yeah. what, what did that look like and how did it go over in your 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 community of parents that's the other thing i keep asking people what were their yeah, reactions yeah most of the parents think it's cool i oh, mean honestly okay, i think most people most people use the product yep. so it's not it's really true. an issue <laughs> and and again you know coming at it from the business side it's really it's a needed it's a needed service 
Um, True. You can't yeah. have a stigma against the product. I mean, you can. Anyone can have a stigma against the product. But the reality is it's still a business and it's an emerging business and it's an exciting business for people to watch. Yes. So I think people are excited to learn about it and hear about it. Yeah. Um, my, my daughter the other day, she was, um, I think putting something away in my closet and she's like, Oh mom, I dropped your cannabis book. And I was like, that's funny. <laughs> that's great. Um, mom, right, I know, I was like, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, and, and it's, I, I went to a conference, the Avent pay conference in DC I spoke at last year and they had these little, um, you know, little capital building squeezy toys and stuff like that with some marijuana leaves on them. And I'm like, Ooh. Oh kids, I got you some stuff and here you go. And <laughs> It's, here, here, how do you sleep with this, this stuff, marijuana leaf? I love that. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it's. I think it's no it's different. I'd leaf. rather have the opportunity to speak to my children oh, about yes. cannabis in a legal market. And if they want to try it when they're old enough, age appropriate, and, you know, we all know what kids do before that. But right, at right. least we know that it's a safe, uh, you know, it's not laced with fentanyl when it's exactly. coming from the store. Right. And so... It, it's their choice as adults to do what they want to do. I'm not, you know, a, a helicopter parent or anything no. like that. I just want them to be informed. And, you know, yeah. it, it's, I don't see, you know, if he, kids are constantly exposed as children to going to parties where their parents are drinking. Oh my um, God. You know, yeah, it, yeah. And sometimes when people <laughs> just get drunk and it's kind of ridiculous, um, you know, where, where the kids see it and they know that there's something weird going on but it's part of society right and so i that's more acceptable than sitting back and smoking a J. well the war on drugs and every frying frying egg (laughs) yeah exactly curled up in a ball (laughs) shivering right but but it is it's honesty it's a transparency it's the idea that if they're not sneaking around it's not as interesting. If your mom totally. is into it, how interesting could it be? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> no, my son couldn't care less. <laughs> Cannabis, blah, blah, whatever. Oh, all right. Yeah, he doesn't <laughs> care. It's funny. So, 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 you're, so I, I've talked to parents with younger children, and they say sometimes I get um, ostracized from the playgroups. I have Aww. heard this. So, <laughs> That's a bummer. Was this ever an issue well, in your life? I was never ostracized, ever. From the playgroups? Never. I have the best mo- I, yeah, I have the best moms. <laughs> So, yeah. so Mitzi, that wasn't was an issue. People were like, you can't go to Mitzi's house anymore because she's oh. in that industry. Oh, I would hate that. Uh, no. Yeah, and it, not that not that I've seen, but oh. it's more like, you know, oh, you're a, a, you're in local politics. We're not going to your house anymore. Oh. So that's more the opposite. <laughs> that's worse, yeah, right? That's worse. Totally worse. <laughs> I see that. Um, oh, that's yeah, hysterical. So it's, that's, that's self-ostracism, uh, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm in local politics too. I know, I know. Oh, well, I, 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 I worked. I worked the polls yesterday, and I have a lot of hope today. And I got to oh, say, good. so my daughter turned 18 this year, and all, and I, I work in my ward where my daughter, like, have a lot of friends, and all her friends were coming in to vote, or they, awesome. nice. or they absentee voted, or oh. I'm like, I don't remember really voting at 18 or 19, but these kids are very oh, yeah, involved. That I, actually yeah. made me feel very hopeful. Yeah, I, I brought my world. kids to the polling yes. place, you know, as I always do. And yep. it's like, we'll get there at 7 a.m. when they open. And this is how you do it. This is what this is about. We have the whole conversation. And, you know, they, they it's good. Kids need to be part of the process. Oh, they're, absolutely. They're really part of the future. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or even like, I mean, lots, because our, our polling station is actually in the elementary school and there's a preschool there. So everybody was bringing their little kids in. They were babies oh. and they were taking the stickers and I just, there was a bake sale. I don't know. I just, for me, it's a very civic minded, community oriented idea that, you know, it doesn't have to be money in politics. It has to be people in politics. And these are the connections you're making. So that, and like my friend Tip O'Neill says, all politics is local. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> that is my takeaway. All right. So, Mitzi, <laughs> Amy always does a little segment called her favorite thing. 
Amy, what is your favorite thing okay. this week? You're going to love this. Okay, I'm going to love it. Look at this. Oh, what is that? Oh, I saw that. <laughs> that is so cool. I, okay. Yeah. So I got this beautiful. Explain what it is. <laughs> I will explain what it is. Uh, there's a beautiful jewelry maker in uh, Oregon. It's called High Society Collection. And they make functional jewelry for weed smokers. So clever jewelry for clever women. <laughs> and this is a heart pin. It's a heart bun pin. So you could wear it in your hair. And oh, there's funny. a little holder in the middle for your joint. And you could feel very fancy <laughs> while you're smoking and passing it to people. It is very, although we don't pass in the corner. We don't. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. No passing sharing. with the corona. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I have, you know, I'm, I have to get like, they have glass tips. And I think it's worth everyone getting a little tip. Or, or everyone themselves. have their own joint. I anyway, <laughs> so they have beautiful. <laughs> right. That's true. People, you have your own glass, have your own joint. No, that's true. So anyway, they have beautiful necklaces. They have earrings. And the necklace that they have with the pendants you could also use as a joint holder they have like a special clasp and it comes in gold and silver and it's just beautiful it's not cheap it's handmade but it's worth it and uh, if you go to high society collection dot uh, com and you know they're on instant facebook and I don't get paid for doing these ads. But I just buy the she, stuff. She finds she I'm finds a, the things she loves, and she like and wants I'm you to know, and She wants you to know about them. And yeah, I, agree. I love shopping. So yeah, and we're, and we're promoting these businesses. So they, you know, exactly the, another woman-owned business making jewelry. She makes great stuff. I love it, mm -hmm. and I'm happy. Oh, and wait, it comes in this awesome box. Oh, that's, Look you know, at that, this. That's like, that's like the um that pipe that I got. That yes, stone yes, pipe. yes. Oh, this beautiful. Pipe. It's I a beautiful love it. uh, a wooden, wooden box. box yeah. and, it's just so pretty. I love it. And so sustainability and prettiness yes. and functionality. So there we go. So thank you, High Society Collection. And there you be, go. And they'll be in my notes if you want to connect with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, well, uh, <laughs> so Mitzi, uh, so do you want to give any sort of roundup? What is your vision for the future? What do you or. hope is going to happen with CPAs and cannabis? <laughs> do you see young women coming into this business? We actually didn't even get to that subject. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I think that, you know, there's there's such great opportunity in the cannabis industry because the focus is on equality and it's on, you know, gender parity and it's on diversity. And mm -hmm. I really think that, you know, it can be a model for other industries, but I also think that society's changing and, you know, it's we're only so many generations away before people just accept generational differences and, mm -hmm. and gender differences and really right. that becomes the, the norm. Um, I see it in my kids. And, oh yeah, I know, say my kids. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, pretty yeah. hopeful for the future in that regard. And I, I really enjoy the cannabis space because there is a big promotion for women and minorities, and it's just Humans. a great It's a nice human industry. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's very, very refreshing. I will say, um, public accounting has not historically been that way. So, right. well, I was, um, I, was I, I was a divorce attorney, and that wasn't that fun either. But this is a whole, yeah. whole wax. Um, Okay, so uh, we're actually rounding it up. This was not a great show. Thank you, Mitzi. It took us so long to get you on the show. And um, yes. I'm, hap I'm right. happy to find you. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> You're very busy. You have like... I are you going to be at Nikan? Will we see you there? Or uh, I will not be at Nikan this okay. year. No. All right. Well. Oh well. Well. <laughs> I'm sure we're, going, we're going to some women's events in April in Burlington. We invited to. So yeah, we're sort of doing our little. Um, you know, trying to get a little tour, a little tour, and talking to women in the industry. So exactly, finding out what's Excellent. going on. Well, thank you, ladies, yeah. for this opportunity, and um, keep up the good work. All oh, right, well, so thanks. thank you, thank you. So for my guest today, Mitzi Hollenbeck of Citrin Cooperman. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach you? 
Uh, you can go to our website, citrincooperman.com, and all of my contact information is on there under people. You can find me, Mitzi Hollenbeck. People. Perfect. All right. My person, Mitzi Hollenbeck. People. All right. <laughs> and my Canada sister, I want to thank Amy Searles. I want to thank Josh Lampkin for writing and performing the Canada Mom theme music, our business team, Kelly Dolan and Laurie Lennon, our attorney, Kim Kramer of McLean Middleton, and I want to thank you taking the time to listen to the Cannamom Show, where we are integrating cannabis into our lives, changing the narrative around cannabis and caregiving, and empowering women-centric cannabis businesses, one can story at a time. And I'm Amy Searles. Please follow us on social media and subscribe everywhere or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. We're at, at The Cannamom Show. And I'm your host, Joyce Gerber, and this is The Cannamom Show production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Cannabis Health Radio is a podcast about stories from people around the world who have used cannabis to deal with serious ailments, many of them life-threatening. My name is Ian Jessup. My co-host, Corey Elland, is no stranger to the devastating emotional impact faced by so many people receiving a death sentence diagnosis from a doctor. Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, she would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer, such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode.